0: It's called the Freshman 15. It certainly gets a lot of attention. It's almost legendary. When kids go off to college, they talk about it. I have a freshman who just started at Penn State, and that was one of the first things she heard and talked about. Am I going to pick up the Freshman 15? But what exactly is it? What does it mean? And how can we, as healthcare providers, make a difference in a positive way, uh, dealing with body image and also with overall health? And today, I have a very special guest with me on Primary Care Today. It's Alice Holland. Uh, her professional bio includes a Master's in Education in Human Sexuality, a Master's of Science in Nursing, Bachelor of Arts in Psychology, School Nurse Certification, but where she really uh, does a lot of great work is with college students and student health. Right now, she is the Director of Student Health Services at Quinnipiac University, and she is here to talk about the freshman 15, and when we talk about that term, I'd like to start right off, Alice, and say, are there fallacies? Uh, you know, theories, stories. Where is the freshman fifteen when it really comes down to reality?
1: Well, hi Brian. Thanks for having me on your show. Um, great topic because it's just pertinent to so many different people. But um, you know, what is the freshman fifteen? It's this belief system that students gain fifteen pounds during their first year in college. However, evidence is limited on that, and yeah, let's, let's talk about some myths and some common fallacies.
0: What are some of them? Do they gain 15? Do they gain 30? Or do they just gain 3? Or is there no number to look at?
1: Right, there's average number, Brian. So, um, you know, kind of fallacy or myth number one, freshman 15 is a fact. It doesn't have to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's not a fact. Um, You know, there's varying studies out there that show that the average weight gain is anywhere between two and seven pounds that freshman year. And um, a lot of what we look at in college health is the um, American College Health Association and their studies. And they did a recent study that showed the average weight gain was 2.7. Pounds. Um, men gained more weight than women, so um, these findings kind of demonstrate that although freshman college students gain weight, few gain that legendary 15 pounds that you mentioned in the introduction. But you know, it does suggest opportunities for health promotion during this transition from high school to, to college life.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting uh, knowing I was going to be doing this program. I talked to my daughter who's just starting out. And I said, "Well, what's the food like?" She said, "It's good," but. A lot of things she couldn't have at home on a regular basis, like chicken fingers and fries, uh, uh, in the case of Penn State, their their creamery ice cream all the time, mm-hmm. she's a joy. But in talking to her, she said, well, you know, after a while, how many days can you eat that? You know, and you start to right. to shift. Is that the, the experience that many students have when they go off? They kind of say, hey, I can do what I want from a dietary standpoint, and then kind of roll it back to what they're more used to? You
1: know, they encounter a, a few big changes when students go off to college and they can experience weight gain due to sudden lifestyle changes such as changes in the types of food that they eat, the quantity of food that they eat, long hours studying without exercising, and alcohol consumption. So it's like this time of independence where students are making their own decisions about eating and physical activity, so big change in their lifestyle.
0: So it really comes down to, I guess, individuals, how they approach things and at what points in college they they go in different directions, whatever it is. And I'm sure if it's an athlete, it's probably a totally different experience where they might be in the weight room all the time and trying to bulk up for sports or whatever.
1: Yeah, and, you know, um, I'm glad that you mentioned athletes, Brian, because one of the things that um, – you know, when we get into some kind of, like, um, nutritional navigational tips, um, when you mention athletes, a lot of um, students who are once high school athletes may not realize how much physical activity they're now lacking now that they're in college. You know, there's kind of a change in their activity and their, and their daily routine.
0: And when you talk about that, you know, that routine, it seems like, in fact, for sure, College students have a lot more time on their hands, but I guess that doesn't mean they're, they're using it to run to the gym. I think a lot of adults would say, wow, if I had three more hours, I would exercise. But you wonder if you really would.
1: Right. It's, you know, it's just this fine balancing act on you know how do you keep up with um, an all-you-can-eat cafeteria. Really, you shouldn't look at it as all-you-can-eat. How do you keep an active lifestyle, and how do you also navigate these new social circles that, that you're involved in?
0: So when you're dealing with students and you're counseling uh-huh. them, um, you also deal, I'm sure, not just with the freshman 15, but you deal with eating disorders and problems like that. It must also be a unique position because you're, you're, you really can be mom and dad and healthcare care provider and everything all wrapped into one in a college setting.
1: You really can. And, you know, um, you have to watch because some people can um, get involved with eating or drinking their feelings. Um, You know, you're feeling stressed or upset. It's common to turn to comfort food or alcohol to make yourself feel better. Um, Or or some people may do the reverse and restrict food. But in either case, if you feel like your stress or eating habits are becoming a problem, um, there's lots of resources on campus. Um, Two large resources are counseling services and student health services. And, you know, um, tap into those resources because that's why they're there. They're there for the student and to help them kind of navigate through this process.
0: And when you do that if as a parent, of course, there may not necessarily be the access. What about for physicians? Because obviously there is respect, and uh, when someone is over 18 years old, there's only a certain amount of information that can or cannot be released. If you're a physician at home, let's say, and a student is off at college and the parents express concerns, what would a physician in practice do? Do they call um, the healthcare care providers at the university first, do they contact the student what's the what's the form that you usually get it when, in fact, a uh, local physician from the student's hometown is involved?
1: Yeah, we actually see a, a variety of different contacts um, you know the The majority of students are eighteen or older. Um, we do have a few that are seventeen, a few entering freshmen, um, but sometimes the student will come to us on their own, sometimes the student's roommate or friend or um, sometimes a parent will phone, sometimes we will um, be in contact with the primary care provider, either we'll call them or they'll call us. It's really a nice collaboration, um, just trying to help the student succeed.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, your host. I'm with Alice Holland, and she is talking with us about the freshman 15. Um, she is the director of student health services at Quinnipiac University, uh, which I understand it's, it's on the way to getting a medical school and all sorts of things out there, I understand.
1: We are in our um, second year of having our school of medicine, We had our first incoming group last year, and um, we just had uh, 90 more first-year medical students enter this year. So really um, an exciting time here at Quinnipiac.
0: And I can proudly say the reason I know some of that is because one of our former faculty members where I work um, has moved up to the Connecticut area and was in practice and is going to be joining that faculty and working as the university grows. So I wasn't aware you were that far along, but I did know uh, you know, the medical school was there. And it's great because there's definitely a, a shortage and a need in, in health care, as we all know. So it's, it's great to see opportunities like this. Um, how do you see that impacting um, your, your practice as the years go on? I mean, it, it's got to be a great resource to have uh, centers like that probably close at hand. It's
1: a wonderful resource. You know, we have um, 58 undergraduate programs here at Quinnipiac and 20 graduate programs and and online opportunities as well and eight different schools and colleges, one of them being the School of Medicine. We have the School of Health Sciences, School of Nursing. Um, All those uh, different professions, uh, they work very well with student health services. They help us with our flu vaccine clinic. It gives them an opportunity to... to, you know, administer vaccines and develop rapport with with um, students who are receiving vaccines and provide uh, health education. So it's really a, a wonderful partnership that we have with our students here on campus.
0: And the other reason I know about the school, it's the, it's what the Frank H. Netter School of Medicine and any of us or many of us who grew up. Um, Way before and we're going to school before a lot of the digital images that are available so readily now Those those pictures by Frank Netter were what got us through anatomy. I'll tell you that (laughs) a lot of great artwork He
1: is called the Michelangelo of medicine and uh, if you ever have the opportunity to visit our beautiful three campuses I can um, I can give you a tour and show you his beautiful illustrations throughout the School of Medicine.
0: It's interesting. One of my regrets was in medical school, I went to Temple that he came and visited the school when I was a student and gave a lecture and I, I cut that lecture because I wanted to study for uh, biochem or physiology, whatever the test was, and, I, and that was one of those touchy-feely courses. I said, well, I, I don't need to see Frank Netter. I better work on the course that's going to keep me in med school. And you look back on it, you go, gosh, in the long run, if you knew that, what you know now, know. just that opportunity to meet someone like that would have just yeah. been invaluable. You can always read the material, I think, at oh, home.
1: All the more reason to visit our School of Medicine here at Quinnipiac, Brian. Okay. Well, getting, ba- <laughs> getting back
0: to the subject at hand, too, um, when we're talking about the freshman fifteen. Okay, we've dispelled the rumor. Um, It obviously gained some attention. But what about the body self-image and those issues? Uh, And it happens to males, but in particular females, when they go to college and they have these things laid upon them and people are saying things, uh, do you have to counteract that? Are there people who get into a rut? What do you see, like, in your own experience, and across across the board, from what you've read and studied,
1: some studies have shown that attitudes, your your self attitude toward your body, can can affect your eating habits. Whether you choose to diet and restrict calories, which you know can can lead to an eating disorder, or whether you choose to indulge in more calories, almost as as a, a form of comfort or, or coping with it. So, um, you know, it's that's something that. Um, we would speak with the student about in student health services. We also work very close with counseling services. We're housed in one large building called um, the Health and Wellness Center. We also are very unique at Quinnipiac in that we're one of the very, very few um, higher ed institutions that have a 24-7 student health services operation. So I have RNs covering student health services around the clock while students are in session during fall and, and spring semesters and that's really unique so whatever time of day you might you know be feeling stressed or upset students have the ability to come in and, and have an RN there for them. So that, that's, that's a good thing. Um, you know, we do a lot of education on not all calories are created equal and um, that it's important to, to eat. Um, losing weight is not about eating less. You know, another, another myth, you know, where, where students may think losing weight is about eating less. We... Um, try to reinforce that studies have shown that students have better memory retention after eating breakfast and and they need calories for energy
0: now one other thing as we move along and and get Mm -hmm. closer to the end of the show is i know you have experience you did some research and work in kenya as part of your background tell me about that
1: Oh, yes, and that's actually when I was employed at Penn State, or where your child is. <laughs> and um, anyway, I've had a wonderful opportunity with um, – I uh, taught health and human sexuality at Penn State, and I would end my courses with an experiential approach in Kenya. And we um, – actually, um, I helped work on what's called um, the Mishavu Project. And Meshavu means um, chubby cheeks in Swahili. And um, – in Africa, when you have chubby cheeks, that's a sign of good nutrition. So, um, what we did was it, we developed a telemedicine kiosk system. It was myself, who's a who's a nurse practitioner, a healthcare provider, and I would work with the engineering students, and I would bring a team of students, and we would strive to provide like accessible healthcare to developing nations, and we would connect with these community health workers, so and teach them how to track village-level health um, and help them design tools with um, instruments that that we could build that are materials that can be found in Kenya. So we would um, help build a stethoscope and a, and be able to take height and weight and um, blood pressure, and um, we were working on a spirometry, you know, prior to, to me accepting the position at Quinnipiac, so... Um, it was really a wonderful partnership um, and really helping uh, people who um, who live in villages who don 't have access to health care that we could design tools that it could send information to um, Medical professionals via the internet, so they could decide if that if, if uh, people need to be seen in the hospital or not because they're so remote.
0: One more question before we get to the end of the program, and that yeah. is: if you had anything you could do from a dietary standpoint to help college students, advice, uh, suggestion, uh, something you could do as an intervention, what would you suggest or do?
1: Oh, I you know I would just try to tell them to take a deep breath and remind them it's a balancing act. This is whole new atmosphere that they're in and it's okay if they hit bumps in the road and wrinkles in their life that's that's what it's all about and between this all-you-can-eat food and this new busy scheduling and tough classes and these new social circles that you need to navigate which equals social calories um, freshman year is like a whirlwind but kind of just listen to your body Give yourself time to adjust to campus life and balance your lifestyle. Go to your resources. That's why we're here. And really things just kind of, you know, um, adjust themselves, and they do work out. And usually then by the sophomore year, you're, you, you've understood, you know, how you can navigate this and, and just enjoy yourself.
0: I also want to thank you for joining us. Uh, Dr. Brian McDonough, if you have missed part of this discussion, please visit ReachMD.com slash care today. You can download the podcast and you can learn more on the series. Once again, Alice, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to join us.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Brian. Thank you for having me.